Hey everybody, it's Andrea. Today, we welcome you to Just Desserts. We get incredible period costumes in science fiction, and we ask the question, who actually stays behind when the away team takes off? Come nerd out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea, and we have arrived. It is Season 5, Episode 26, Times Arrow, Part 1. This is the Season 5 finale. And dun, dun, dun. Is... Oh, oh my God, isn't it? It is. Crazy. How did we get yeah, to no. five seasons? I, I don't know how that happened, but... I don't know. When it's a I good finale, back, maybe not the best finale, but I like this finale a lot. I mean, it's not, it's no best of both worlds, but nothing is best of both but worlds. But nothing is best of both worlds. Except for best isn't. of both worlds. Yeah. yeah. And like, and even still best of both worlds is like one perfect episode yes. together. But yes. when we did do that review, it's like, oh, this is all the buildup. And then, oh, right. this is all the like, right. you know, if you put it together, it's perfect. But one on its own is like, mm. this one is just super duper fun. This episode was written by Joe Minoski and Michael Piller and directed by Les Landau. An engineering team finds evidence of an alien presence on Earth in 19th century San Francisco. But spoiler alert, it's Data's severed head buried 500 years ago. Now give me the bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> okay, my initial thoughts, I'm going to say them first because they're fast. It was just... <laughs> and that was it. What was yours? <laughs> <laughs> Not too much longer than yours. Um, mine is just like, wow, this is one of my favorite episodes. And here's what I wrote in my notes. This is why it's one of my favorites. It centers around data. It's got time travel. And there is a killer alien snake. Come on. I mean, also, I am a sucker for, like, period pieces. Yes. And so, like, you will always find me at this time of the year, like, when we're recording, it's November. So we're well underway into holiday season. And if there's there's nothing I like more during holiday season than, like, curling up and watching, like, the cozy period drama. So like Downton Abbey and all that stuff. Like I get really deep into it, like over Mm -hmm. the holidays and then I put it away and then, you know, come October, November, I bring it back out out again. So this is that time where I'm like, wow, I kind of get the best of both worlds, no pun intended, where it's like sci-fi Star Trek future, but they've gone past Mm -hmm. and they went period appropriate with costumes Mm -hmm. and hair and Beverly's costume. Like so fantastic. Just all of it. Down to the freaking monocles, the curls in the hair. Yes, all of it. Every little detail was perfection. And really, we've been saying this since season three. I don't know who they hired on the team in season three, but all those people need a raise because from season three to now, Holy moly, like the sets have been incredible. The outfits have been incredible. The makeup jobs for the most part have so been great. really good. Even if they've been weird or mm-hmm. like not attractive, they've been interesting mm-hmm. and professional, yeah. right? Like they didn't look like somebody who just put a Sharpie on someone's face, which that yes. was an episode, right? So yeah. a couple episodes actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mostly like, season one, to be honest. <laughs> a little, <laughs> some, some dashes in season two. Yeah. Um, but like this episode is just so... So, um, such a perfect example of the quality of the show as a whole. Aside from the writing, it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then the writing, thank God, is good. Because that's usually where you and I get a little tripped up. Even if the makeup's ugly or stupid, if the storyline's really good, we're like, who cares? But if the storyline is bad, nothing can really save it. And thankfully, I really, really enjoy this storyline. Yeah, and there are a lot of moments of levity in these two episodes that have just like a little bit of 
comedy more like data is usually a pretty comedic figure just because of like the way that he sort of stands out or doesn't catch mm-hmm. on to some of the social cues, which is like, oh, uh, oh classic data, right? Mm-hmm. But like, there are so many moments where he's like funny interacting with like 19th century people who he keeps calling himself a Frenchman so that yeah. they don't have any questions about it's his just, look. It's <laughs> just great. Like, like the, all of it is like, the way so he delicious. adapts so quickly. It, that's what yeah. makes it funny. The way he's just like, mm-hmm, yes, it's just really funny. So we're going to get into it. And yeah. the only other thing I want to say before we get started is one of the things that I really appreciate about these two episodes, something you've mentioned before, where you're like, you know, sci-fi doesn't always have to be space battles and blah, 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 blah. This is kind of like that, but there is also mm-hmm. a space battle. So how do they do that? I don't know. It takes place in the past. It seems very mundane and normal. But at the same time, there's this super sci-fi edge where there is space battle. There are aliens. There is an attack. But it's a very lighthearted way. It's it's just a really interesting combination of themes and genres mixed together to make this like perfect plate yes yes like they have these jump back and forth between like present day and the past and these like sort of parallel efforts coming together so there's no b plot in these two episodes Mm -hmm. it's just all kind of working towards figuring out what the heck is going on and how to fix it but i have actually a whole bunch of trivia. So this is, in case you haven't put it together, it's that really fun episode where they find Data's head and then they all go back to like 19th century San Francisco and Guinan is there and Mark Twain as Samuel Clemens is there and he's fucking annoying. But mm-hmm. like that aside, it's that really fun episode. Now there's a few things that I actually, I looked up and I was like, wow, this is really cool. So Rick Berman and Michael Piller had originally decided not to end the fifth season with a cliffhanger. However, the development of the spinoff series DS9 totally changed that. Mm. So Pillar said, quote, because of all the attention DS9 was getting and the rumors that TNG would be shutting down because of it, we wanted to send a message that this show was alive and well and continuing to grow, end quote. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I have no idea how they would have made the episode not a cliffhanger and a two-parter as well. Especially since they had been doing two-part cliffhanger endings every season mm-hmm. except for the first one because we had that yep. weird neutral zone situation but besides that, that nonsense one, yeah. yeah the whole season one was you know working its way out but since yeah. that they always have this two-part cliffhanger so for them to not do it as a viewer i would assume that means the show is not coming back in a few months oh yeah so i'm really really glad that they did that now also a number of different time periods were being considered including the 30s which i thought was pretty cool but that's pretty close to dixon hill the 60s mm-hmm. which i feel like would have come off really cartoonish and the 90s which i'm thrilled that they did not yes, do agree because going back like going to that like voyager episode where they land in like santa monica and like mm-hmm. 2002 or whatever and they're at the beach and all this stuff and, and you're like just oh so look stupid. it's the present yeah it's the present now which i remember watching that episode when it aired and I was like cool it's where we are right now but like I went back just for nostalgia's sake and watched it this year and I was like holy shit is this bad like it's so bad it's always it's always a ripoff when you're like oh this future these future people with future technology came to the present and now they're just like us boo yeah no 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 (laughs) um yeah and I'm glad they went a lot farther back than 1930s yeah they also had that stupid episode uh the royale which was like 20s, <gasps> 30s, 40s. It was like 20s slash 80s. <laughs> yes, it was that 20s slash 80s era of like, yeah, it just the overly used 20s slash 80s. Yeah. Let's just um, not. I'm glad they did now, something different. <laughs> I'm actually going to put a lot of blame on Rick Berman for this because he chose the late 19th century because it was his idea for Data to meet Mark Twain. Did we need him there? Spoiler, we did not. 
He sucks the entire time. <laughs> Just the whole time. You know, these two episodes were an ode to American novelists because we find yeah. out in the next, you know, episode that there's another novelist in the, in the mm-hmm. mix. So thematically, it makes sense. And I guess if I if I knew those things, maybe I would, you know, as a kid watching this, maybe I would have cared. But honestly, as an adult knowing it, I don't I don't care. I, I don't still care. don't care. Yeah, so. it's still I don't care. And then the, the last bit of trivia that I found, which I was I just loved all the behind the scenes. I'm like, oh, this is how this came together. So Joe Minoski, who wrote this episode, suggested involving Guinan. And he said, um, quote, I said if she was alive, what if that's where she met everyone the first time? And that's where the relationship with the Star Trek group started and where she met Picard. Ultimately, that's where Picard helped her out of trouble back then. And she came back to find him before he met her, knowing she was going to be on the Enterprise to like complete the circle. Mm-hmm. End quote. And I was like, oh, God, that is so cool. So by the time she gets to the Enterprise in season two, I think Mm -hmm. it is, she's already had a whole adventure with the gang and they have no idea. And that just adds such a beautiful depth of, you know, layer of depth, like to the whole show. It just kind of gives a nice warmth to it that I really, really love. It adds some really interesting interesting backstory because this is 500 years previous. So you're like, so she's been sitting on the secret for 500 years? Like, that's really cool. Or at least a couple of years ever since she's been on the Enterprise. Like, she's a listener and not much of a talker. So, like, I guess if it were me, I'm a talker. I would have been like, hey, Picard, you don't know this. But in a couple of years, we're going to go back in time and have an adventure. <laughs> That's right. You know, but, like, she didn't say anything. And I do love, and we'll get into it in a minute, I do love that when the conundrum first gets to the crew of, like, Data's found this head of his, you know, in this cave 500 years ago, and they mention it to Guinan, she's like, oh. <gasps> Oh, we're here now. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is knowing this episode, how it goes. I was like, oh, God, it's going to be so good. So I love it. I love this episode so much. That's what I have for trivia. Shall we just jump on in? Let's do it. All right. Um, the Enterprise has been called back to Earth because the presence of extraterrestrials has been found dating back five centuries. And they found a couple of like era appropriate artifacts, um, it, like a little, like a little you know, clock, a stopwatch, or a, watch, mm-hmm. a stopwatch, or a pocket or watch. Pocket watch, I mean, yeah, pocket yeah, watch. Yeah, that sounds like two SLC some with glasses. lab, eighteen ninety something. Yeah, some like bifocals, which Data had said like these were appropriate for the era. Like, you know, and and the archaeologist working said that there's a trionic wave pattern that seems to be embedded in the rock, which is only used by a few select types of aliens, as it has deleterious effect on living material. So like humans or humanoids can't, couldn't have like been part of this right and, and he mentions that in no time would would triolic waves be found on earth not in yes. 500 years ago and not today yeah so it's, it's extremely rare and it's very unusual and so you're like yeah hmm, that's kind of cool but you're also kind of like and are we telling picard because he yeah. likes archaeology yeah. you know you're still kind of so, curious about why the flagship has been called back for this particular find exactly just for a couple of like bifocals it's like cool i found some old stuff so picard does ask that he's like there are far more far more experienced archaeologists in the sector like why call the enterprise all the way home for this one and the archaeologist is like well there's one more thing i haven't shown you and he uncovers data's severed head (laughs) and data is like 
well, that's interesting. And I'm like, what? you know, like immediately <laughs> I would start squawking and like panic. And Data's like, hmm, interesting. Let me bring this back to the enterprise for like study, which he does. This was a great, uh, this was a great bum, bum, bum before the commercial break. Because mm-hmm. the whole time you're like, this is, this is interesting, but also why, like why Picard, why the flagship? And then Picard says, why me? Why the flagship? And you're kind of like, uh-huh. yeah. And they go, there's one last thing. And then you see Data's head. and you. But before you see Data's head, you see Data and Picard look at the thing that was underneath. Yes. The so like we don't look see shocked. what they see. Yeah. Yes. You just see a look of shock on their face and, you know, comp- dawning comprehension. They look back and the camera pans down and you see Data's head. And then you're like, what? Is that Data's head? And then it goes to commercial. Like that was a great yeah. place to cut. Well done, writing team. So, so, so great. Now, after the credits roll data is examining his own severed head in main engineering with Riker and picard and geordie and determines that it's his head and not lores because that was a great question it's like could this possibly be lores like you do have an identical twin brother and he's mm-hmm. like no lore has like a type l subprocessor and i have a type r and did you notice picard is like if if i were picard and i got that info i'd be like Oh, inter- okay, that's good to know. But Picard's reaction was type R, like yeah. as, if, as if it was like some shocking. So great. <laughs> he said it as if he was so offended by how dare you say type R. That was like, that's one of my favorite lines. Or also, or also something that was like very confusing. Like, what do you mean type R? It's like, yeah. do you know the difference between the two different types right? of processors? Do we, do we know? Yeah. So he he's saying like, <laughs> which is actually interesting. So he's talking about the phase discriminator that Lore has versus what Data has. And yes. that's important because they use Data's phase discriminator later on in the episode but yep. so he, he's talking about that and picard is like type r whatever but one of my favorite lines is when picard goes data is this yours and he's just like so upset about it and, and that's when data's just like yes sir i believe so and data and picard is just like he doesn't even know how to handle this information he's just all over the place Riker doesn't know how to handle it Jordy doesn't know how to handle it data's like how interesting like he's just completely unfazed by this yeah. And that is it's, it's so should, it has to, to be data. Yeah. yeah, it has to be data because first of all, no other head would um stay there, you know, untouched right, right, right. for 500 years. It, no if biological it was, if it was organic, yeah, mm-hmm. if it was organic material, it would have just decomposed and that would have been that. It would have just been a but, really cool skeleton. Yeah, um or dust even. Yeah, who knows. But at some point in the future, data says I will be transported back to the 19th century and I will die. It has occurred, it will occur. And it felt it felt a little like Battlestar Galactica to me. That was like, this has happened before. It will happen mm-hmm. again kind of thing. And yeah. I was like, ah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes um, sense because Riker and Picard are like, okay, what can we do to avoid Data losing his head and dying at some point? And Data's cannot. just like, you can't do anything. It already happened. It happened before. We're looking at the proof of it. We can't avoid what we know is going to happen, yeah. which is very logical. So thanks, Data. But also as humans, we're like, well, we're going to try. And that's exactly what they do. <laughs> They're like, Data's like, you cannot avoid what already happened. Mm-hmm. And everyone on the crew is like, want to bet? Um, which is exactly, it's so in keeping with how humans yeah. are and especially with how these humans are. I mean, I totally understand that. Like, I have faced, I think, Lately, it feels like I have faced some like unwinnable problems mm-hmm. that I'm like, there's no way to win. This. There's no winning this. This is just a lose, 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 no matter what you do. And in my mind, I'm like, but what if I try this? But what if I try that? But what if I try that? But what if I try <laughs> but that? But it might work for us. Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's the thing where it's like, 
I guess. And then there are other situations that I have faced in life that are like, there's no winning. And I'm like, well, there's no winning. But I guess when it matters enough, you're like, yes. no, I've got to try. Right. And oh, that's for sure. Jordy. This and is this his case, best friend. He's like, well, I still have to try. It's like, yeah, it's, it's still going to happen. No one's, no one's leaving data behind, even if it's in the past somehow. No one's going to just lay down and let it happen. Future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I love the idea of this. It is in the past because the archaeologists found it, but it is in their future. Right. And I love this. And I do think also, it makes sense because of the writing of this episode that basically as soon as they find this head, they start uncovering clues that lead them to the situation that's going to create the head in the first place. Right. You know what I mean? The whole but temporal like, paradox. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, exactly. But if this were, I hesitate to use the word real world, but if this were like a real world situation where you find some sort of, like we have a data, let's say, and we find his head in a cave mm-hmm. and it was there for 500 years. We could all panic about it for a minute, but like Data even points out, he's like, I could live for like years or dozens or hundreds of years before before the temporal paradox Mm -hmm. happens. So like we're all, you know, on pins and needles, but like it could be, it could be like weeks or months or years or decades. Mm -hmm. Like we don't know, or eons, like we really don't know. Which again is not how we as humans process time. We, when we see Data's head, we're like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen immediately. That's exactly what we think. And we would be on pins and needles and watching his back for days, for weeks, Mm -hmm. maybe months, but certainly not years. Like Mm -hmm. after a certain amount of time goes by, we'd forget all about it. So that's a really interesting point. So Jordy's kind of doing his thing and he's measuring stuff from the cave and all kinds of stuff. And what he finds out is that the aliens who are using this triolic technology are probably shapeshifters, and it's mm-hmm. probably someone that the people of the Enterprise and that that Starfleet in general has not come across before. So these mm-hmm. are newcomers, which is always fun. It's always fun to get a new aliens, alien species. Yep. Um, and this time what's fun about it is we get a new alien species, but we know they're shapeshifters, so they're going to look exactly like humans, but we're just going to have to trust on the pinky promise that they're aliens, which is really fun because then you're like, how can you tell which one's an alien, you know? Yes, so absolutely. The, so, the, so the director, you know, had to make it very clear to us as viewers that these humans are not really humans, which is just yeah. so fun, right? And it's super, it's, very it's, fun. it's a cheap way to have a cool character because you don't need prosthetics or anything. Mm-hmm. So anyways, he goes, okay. You just need only- a couple of people in some period piece costumes. Yep. You just need people blending in with the other people. Boom, mm-hmm. alien. So, um... Jordy discovers that there's some microbe in the mix and the only place it's known to exist is on Davidia 2. So he's yeah. like, let's get over there. Let's let's explore. Let's see what's going on. Because why would these aliens be going back into our past? We That's just really fishy. And they're kind yeah. of all assuming there's some kind of negative intent with this and they just need to yes. make sure. So yeah. we're like, cool, that, that makes total sense. That tracks. Next thing you know, we're in 10 forward. And I love this scene too. Data and Jordy are, are really great chit-chatting. And Jordy's just like, Data, do you need to talk about what happened? And Data's like, not really. I feel no particular need to talk about it. And there's like a pause. And then he goes, do you need to talk about it? And he kind of does it the same <laughs> way Jordy, Jordy does. And Jordy's like, yeah, I do. And Data's like, ah, okay, okay. Yes, what do you need to talk about, right? <laughs> Data's just like, no, why would I? But I just love this... Um, this is EQ, right? This is this is his yes. emotional intelligence of being like, I don't need to. Wait a minute. Do you need to? Okay, if mm-hmm. you need to, let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And 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 Jordy's just like, this has to bother you. This has got to be hard for you, you know, knowing that you're gonna die and it should freak you out and all this stuff. And data makes all these really good points that are equally as sad, right? He goes, Before I thought I was gonna live forever. So I thought I would outlive all my friends. 
And Jordy's yeah. like, that sucks. And then he goes, but then I'd make new friends. And he was like, oh yeah, that's true. And then he's like, and I'd outlive those friends. Oh yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so it's like, it was, <laughs> it was kind of already a sad story when you think about it. Yep. But then Data concludes with, this gives my life a sense of completion and makes me feel more human. Now I know there's an end date and I'm not going to live forever. Yeah. And Jordy's kind of like, huh, okay. So I don't know. It's just, it's so interesting seeing mortality and humanity mm-hmm. through Data's eyes because oh, I was totally. right. I was right there with Jordy. I was like, mm-hmm, that sucks. Yep. That really sucks. Like I was not mm-hmm. seeing any kind of silver lining in this whole scenario. But I love that like Data absolutely was like, now I'll roughly know how I'm going to die kind of and that like my life will be finite and that takes me one step closer to being human mm-hmm. because i know my life has an end date which i think can be comforting because one thing that humans are afraid of is dying and i think the other alternative is even more terrifying is living mm-hmm. forever yeah. or being the only one who can live forever yeah and you just make friends and family and they die and then you make yeah. new friends and then they die and, and then suddenly you... you're in interview with a vampire and you yes, just exactly. don't want it anymore yes and mm-hmm. you just don't want it anymore actually one of my favorite books is um circe by madeline miller and it's about a greek goddess and she's a lesser goddess she's a nymph and one of the few powers that she has is immortality but that's pretty much it and her story spans like thousands of years and she's like i mean i thought that like god's were these immortals and and like lived like the best lives like the olympian gods and the titans because they could have whatever they want do whatever they want there were never any consequences they never had to work for anything they snapped their fingers and there it was and then she said after interacting with mortals a lot i realized like how precious their time is and how aware of it they are and mm-hmm. so you have to kind of make every day count, even if, you know, we're kind of stuck in like the drudgery of like a nine to five job and you're working for the weekend and all that stuff. Like time passes quickly and you need to make use of it. Otherwise, before you know it, like I just turned 40 and I'm like, how the heck did that happen? I still was like 25, like 15 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Where it's like, mm-hmm. ah, because of that, it forces me to think about my life in a way of like, well, what are my goals for the next five years? And how do I kind of accelerate that? Because Time is going faster and faster as I get older. And at the end of Circe, she sort of realized like mortal, like the immortals are like more dead than the mortals will ever be because Mm. it just goes on infinitely. And they're just so bored of their like gilded lives, like, but not enough courage to live as like a mortal. So it's just sort of Mm. feast after feast after feast after feast where it's like, okay, how much, how much more times are we going to do this? Mm -hmm. Right. Where like for data, I think that's pretty cool where he's like, I have a greater appreciation of now that I know that my life is finite, I'm kind of like you guys where I have to make use of my time. Mm-hmm. Although it could be years or it could be decades or millennia, but like it will end at some point. And I think that that's actually really, really cool. And and as he takes off to leave, um, Guinan comes by and she's like, gosh, that looked like a really intense conversation. Like, what was that about? And Jordy's like, we found Data's head buried under San Francisco and it's been there for like 500 years. Like, what the fuck is that about? And he gets up to leave because he's like, and then he's like, well, to gotta go. Yeah, he's like, well, I, I'm gonna mutter to myself as I like work on some mm-hmm. engineering problem in my head as I walk down the hallway. See you, Guinan. And Guinan's face, if you haven't seen this or if you need to, if you haven't watched this episode or these two episodes in a while, go back and watch them. They're just so delicious. But her face isn't like, wow, that's weird. Her face is like, oh, <gasps> here we are. And she says, well, 
we've come full circle. And I went, oh, <laughs> trying to see this through the eyes of a first time watcher. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's really interesting. Like, what do you know that you're not telling? What else do you that know really that cool. you're not telling? Since there's so yeah. much you don't tell. <laughs> I know there's so much. And like th- the crew in the meantime is having a, just a tough time adjusting to the news of Data's impending death. And it's because they care about him. And there's this cute little scene in the turbo lift where like Data's in the turbo lift and zooming around the ship and Riker and Troy are at a like an elevator door, basically like waiting for the turbo lift to show up and they're talking about it. And as soon as the turbo lift shows up with data inside it, they both get silent. Like what you do when you're talking about someone and they walk into the room Mm -hmm. and he's like, I've noticed like 375 like instances of this happening in the last several number of days. Like what is the, what is this? And they, what is that cute language that they use where they're like, our neural inputs have become accustomed. it's, it's, It's really, it's really cute because Troy was explaining to Riker she was like, have you ever heard Data describe friendship? And he's like, no. And she says this whole thing about neural patterns and such and such. Mm-hmm. And he's like, okay, what does that mean? And Troy's like, the point is Data's used to us and we're used to him. And it's mm-hmm. just like any other friend. It's like a friend you found out has a terminal disease and it's hard to process. So when they're sitting in the turbo lift and they both admit like, yes, we were talking about you and it's not very nice to do. So we're really sorry. Riker turns to him and says, it's just that my mental pathways have become accustomed to your sensory input patterns. And Data goes, ah, I understand. I am fond of you as well. And you too, counselor. And it's like, oh, so he like took that language and totally translated it into how they would say it is like, I'm fond of you, which again shows this this emotional intelligence, which I absolutely love. It's It's such a sweet scene. It's again, one of my favorite scenes because they're going out of their way to speak his language and he's going out of his way to speak theirs. And it just shows this really beautiful connection. And it also strengthens the fact that nobody's trying to let him go. <laughs> like nobody's yeah. trying to be like, oh, well, super sucks for you. It's like, no, no, we don't care what we have to do. We're not going to sit back and let your head get just blown off. Data, just have data die and be like, well, it was fun while it lasted. Exactly. Which, by the way, does while it was fun, it was last while it lasted ever make anybody ever feel better? Because <laughs> I'm going to say from personal experience, it does not. It does not make me feel any better ever. And I'm like, wow, that that it's horrible that XYZ event happened. <laughs> I'm not going to be like, gosh, I'm so glad I got to ride that roller coaster three times before it blew up. It's like, wow, it blew up. Oh, my God, that's awful. Right. <laughs> but maybe I'm not a look on the bright sider. I don't know. I think but, I think I'm more of a look on the bright sider because I'd be like, I'm so glad I got to ride that roller coaster before it blew up because you better believe I'm never going on another roller coaster. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. <laughs> I, I guess it depends on how close you are to the situation. <laughs> anyway, so now the Enterprise has arrived at Davidia 2. And there's some sort of temporal disturbance. And the magnetic signatures are identical to the cave beneath San Francisco or the cavern. And so Picard was like, ha, I'm going to send my away team, which is always like Riker and Worf and Jordy and like Data and, and sometimes Beverly, Beverly and, and Troy. Be- yeah, yeah. Like, let's sometimes just get Chief all O'Brien, of our main Just kidding. People. He never goes. No, because he sucks. But like. <laughs> doesn't suck. <laughs> He's busy in the transporter room pushing the buttons. That anybody could push? Okay, anyway. The, <laughs> that just about anyone could do. The, but the away team is always a terrible idea because they're like, Captain, <laughs> you're too valuable. We'll have the rest of the senior staff go so you can just pilot the ship around by yourself when we all die in an explosion. <laughs> we don't um, really know the role of this other 1,000 crew members. We don't no, We don't it's know. It's all just I mean, Picard, apparently. A few of them are in the Arponics Bay. And um, yeah. Some people cook, I guess. I, I don't really know. They don't because there's replicators. Mott. What do these people? Yes, there's Mott. 
Anyways, we can only send the entire bridge crew every time there's yeah. one. I mean, really, when it comes down to it, all you need is Captain Picard and Guinan to, like, take you anywhere anyway. So it's, <laughs> it's fine. But everybody gets sent on the away team, the regular people, except Data. Because, of course, Picard is like, no, I don't want anything. This all sounds like is building up to whatever led to your head being blown off. So, mm-hmm. like, no, we're not going to have that happen. And he tries and- to be really, like, PC about it. He's like, Data's like, um, wait, aren't I going? And Riker just like, Riker and Warp get on the turbo lift and doors close. Sorry, and they don't even sorry, turn they're back. pushing the door close button exactly. that doesn't even exist. Pretending like, to push the door open button, but it's really the door close button. My friend actually <laughs> does that, which is so messed up. Um, <laughs> she told me that. I was like, are you serious? What is wrong with you? Why even pretend to push a button at all? Anyways, so... So they're getting in the turbo lift. <laughs> and That's like, a whole the-? study in psychology, right? It really there. is. It really is. And Data's Why like, not do anything? Heck? Yeah. And Picard tries to be really PC with it. He's like, Data, I really need your help on the ship. It's really critical that I have your specific yeah. expertise. The boys upstairs have these questions that you need answered. <laughs> uh, and Data's and like just a, like... It's- it's a connect the dots. <laughs> yeah, right? It's tic-tac-toe. He falls for it in like 1.0 seconds. Not at all. He goes, yeah. uh, can I speak to you? Like he automatically knows what's up and he's not even buying this whole, but your expertise is so valuable here on the ship and you can't possibly be on the away team. And here's what I found funny. When Data goes to speak to Picard, he goes, isn't it standard procedure that the second officer always accompanies the away team? And I put in my notes. Well, that's a terrible decision. Every away team, basically what we just said, every away team you send, you send your first officer and your second officer and your chief medical officer and the one counselor you have in the entire ship and your chief chief security officer and your chief engineer. Every time. Guess what happens if something happens to Jordy? We're stuck with chief engineer Barclay. Do we really want that to be our reality, Picard? Oh, we don't gosh. even want it to be your reality. Never mind. Uh, ugh. Yeah, no, but it's he does say, like, you're being irrational about this. Yeah. Um, I One may still cheat fate. Yes, I may yet still live for dozens or even hundreds of years before whatever events take place that end to my demise, like that result in my demise. So, mm-hmm. like, I need to go down there. Now, in the caves of Davidia, too. But Picard Troy, says no, by the way. Yeah, no. he's like, um, <laughs> try, but no. False. Yeah, yeah. Um, still need you to do that tic tac toe. The boys upstairs are waiting for that. So in those caves of Davidia 2, Troy, who's actually being super, super useful, mm-hmm. says that she can sense dozens or hundreds of life forms that no one can see. And she's like, they're human. And Data actually shows up and he does a temporal distortion um, analysis. And there's a synchronic distortion of 0.004%. So the life forms may be in the same space with the away team, but they're in a different time, which I think was really, really interesting way. Of like kind of breaking this down where it's like they're here and we can sense they're them. They're here, but not Troy here. Can, but they're not mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And Data's like, maybe there's a way to like manipulate the distortion. And he says, and Data says, I have a positronic, here's a word that's not even a word, decompiler. And I have to join the away team. So that's when Data, uh, when Picard is like, fine, I guess there's like no getting around this. Yeah, it's his, it's his it's his type R phase discriminator that Jordy is saying, if we had something like that, we could tell what's going on in this other time. Mm-hmm. I could make mm-hmm. this little force field, like this little beam around a single individual. If we could create this device and then we could actually adjust it so we can see what's going on in that other like parallel universe that's happening right along with us. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, but then he says, but we don't have, so Picard's like, okay, let's do that. And Jordy's like, we don't have anything that comes close to that technology on the ship. We'd have to create something. And that's when Data's like, actually we do. We have it in my positronic decompiler. Like we have it in my brain. So mm. sorry, Picard, I have to go down. So then he's like, dang it. Okay, fine. You have to go because he's the only one with the technology right, right then and there to f- figure out what's happening. Otherwise, Jordy yes. would have to build it from scratch. Yeah. So, which Data, could take minutes upon minutes. It could take so, like yeah, 10, 15 minutes, three hours. I mean, it could take we a little bit. We don't have time for time. that. Apparently, even though we're talking about time travel. So, don't we? I don't know. In uh, any we case, we have all the time in the universe, I guess. But Jordy does set up a cool subspace field and he adjusts the synchronic distortion and like he slowly disappears. And he says, I've Data made slowly content. disappears. Yeah. Yes. So, Jordy sets up the subspace field and like, Data slowly disappears as he adjusts the distortion. And he says, I have made visual contact. So he has like kept his calm lines open so they can still hear him. He just sounds like he's kind of in a tin can. Mm -hmm. He says there are many life forms in the cave. And he goes on to describe in detail what the aliens look like and how they appear to be sort of like sitting and lounging against the rocks and feeding from like a hole that they have and what would be their foreheads. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be an apparatus in the middle of the room that's like sending these like balls of like light energy into the like forehead hole of these Davidians. And this is how they seem to be feeding. Mm -hmm. And um, they have a device that seems to be creating a portal that's like shaped like a snake. So that's like our first sort of clue that, oh, there's a snake type of something that's like causing this distortion. Mm -hmm. Um, And Data keeps reporting, but his voice is sounding more and more faint and scrambled. And suddenly there's like a big flash and the apparatus he was holding reappears, but Data is gone. And we're like, oh my God, Data. And next thing we know, Data wakes up and he's in 19th century San Francisco. And it's it like, looks, well, it looks very cool. Long. It's got these like, not quite so cobblestone, cool. but sort of cobblestone-y like ground. And it's got, you know, like the hay scattered around and stuff. It's just, yeah. this set was gorgeous. Like yes. so cool and so stunning. He's just laying on the ground in his Starfleet uniform and there's horses going by and stuff like that. And you're like, wow, what the heck just happened? I mean, as a first time viewer, I'd be like, what is going on right now? Yeah. And I'd yeah. also be like, oh man, his head's totally going to explode <laughs> by the end of this episode, right? <laughs> yeah. Whatever's like, going to happen, it. it's only going to result in head explosions. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and the first thing we see is that there's a kind of a drunk homeless guy who asks Data for some money. And um, so he can go and buy large quantities of booze to help him mm. recover from having fallen down a mine. And I just wrote in my notes, some things never change. Like, yeah. that's that will always be a thing that has always been a thing. Mm-hmm. And even in the even in back in the day, there were still people who, you know, were homeless, were down on their luck, were asking people for handouts for whatever reasons. You know, um, this guy. I don't know this this guy. I felt really sad for this this 49er because you're yeah. just like, what? What path, like talking about our future and our time is short and all that stuff. You're just like, what path does this guy, what choices does this guy have right now? Like what else could Mm -hmm. he be doing with his life? And um, through their interaction at the end of it, he starts coughing really badly. And Data's like, you you should see a doctor about that or seek medical attention or something like Mm -hmm. that. And he's like, no, no, it's too late for me. So he already knows he's dying probably from the consumption or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And he's just like, well, you know, in the meantime, I'm just going to like try to get handouts from people until I just fade away. And I think that's, extremely sad i think yeah you know any person has more to offer the world 
than that. But anyways, that's just an aside for me of like, oh man, this, no, this scenario really is like super heartbreaking. Um, but it wasn't supposed to be heartbreaking in the scene. It was supposed to be kind of funny and lighthearted. And he's telling yeah. Data how to, how, he's he figures Data's also homeless and he's telling him like, okay, these are the people you ask for money. These are the people you don't ask. He's like teaching him the tricks of the trade. Yeah, and he goes, this is my stretch of road. You're going to need to find your own kind of thing where it's like, yeah, there's still like kind of turf, which as far as I understand, which is very little, I will say about homelessness, but it's like pretty, that's that's what happens. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, it tracks where it's like, this is my stretch. You find your own, it will be cool. Like, don't be encroaching on You can't have two people in the same spot. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work like that. Yeah. Um, But he, Data does find a hotel and talks to the doorman who thinks data's missus must have kicked him out because it looks like he's wearing his pajamas uh and i think it's pretty funny that like we are so used to seeing starfleet uniforms but yes if he were transported to the 19th century anywhere they'd be like what are you doing running around in your pajamas mm-hmm. and he's he wearing has, a onesie he's basically wearing a onesie yeah and he has no money so he can't stay at the hotel but as he's kind of coming to that conclusion a man who's down on his luck like staggers out of a poker game and data's head whips around he's like poker and here we go. We see him. This is part of like where the fun really kicks in, where it's super fun to see him like swagger into the poker den. And people ask him why he looks the way he looks. And he goes, I am a Frenchman because there was, I think the 49er, the 40, the 49er that said, are you French? And he goes, I am. Yes, I am French. Like he just, yes. he just, he, or he says, I'm, I don't, I forget what he says to the 49er when he's like, are you French or something? And he goes, well, I'm actually looking for two people walking around with a snake. And he's like, yeah, and the 49 like, what the snake? What, what the F? Yeah. yeah, and he's just like, okay, where, where can I get lodging or whatever? So he points him to the hotel. Then when he's talking to the bellhop, he's like, um, and he asks him that, like, why do you why do you look like that? And your face is really pale. And he goes, um, he goes, I'm French. And he's like, oh, a Frenchman. Yeah, okay, okay. So like people, people just are like, yeah, that that tracks. Like, you must be French because you're so pale. I don't know yeah. what the logic is here. <laughs> but same thing happens in the poker game. He walks in and he's like, I am French. And turns but out he says, he- I am a Frenchman. <laughs> I am a like Frenchman. That's, that's like I the terminology Frenchman. they use. Yes. And turns and- out the head of the poker game is from New Orleans. And so he speaks French. Yep. So this is kind of a great scene to be like, it's kind of calling Data's bluff because mm-hmm. he says like, oh, you, you're you a Frenchman. Well, my parents are from, you know, this and that part of New Orleans and yada, da da. And he says it all in French. And then throws it back to Data, and you're kind of like, oh, crap, Data's not really French. What's going to happen? And then Data busts out fluent French, and he's like, oh, well, I'm from such and such place in France. And, da, 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 da. and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. right, because it's Data. He knows everything. Because it's Data, so he can do it. Even though French in the 24th century is a dead language, it is not here. So it's it's perfect. And very cool. And it's super fun to see that, like, he kind of threw it back in, like, a very elegant way. And then, like, the debonair gentleman was like, well, okay, then. Pull up a seat. <laughs> And he yeah. has no money because that's yep. the whole reason why he's at this poker game. So he throws in his com badge as mm-hmm. his only because he sees people throwing coins into the center. So he's like, uh. Into the so so he throws his he throws his com badge, and the guy's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "It's a polytritanium." Da 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 da. And some guy bites it and goes, "It's gold." And Data goes, "Gold." <laughs> and <laughs> gold. gold. Yes. Yeah. You're just like, oh my god. And the Derbener Frenchman buys it from him for three dollars, and Data's like, "Sold." <laughs> Oh, which I don't even know how much $3 would be in, in like today's time. What was that? Like $30, $300? Like it would probably be like 50 bucks or something, but even still like 
That's well, actually, that does track because I do have a com badge, a real one, and so does Sharice, and we can like call mm-hmm. each other with it because it's a it's a Bluetooth speaker, but there's no gold in it, and we did pay like fifty bucks for it, so I guess that sort of tra- <laughs> so not any bucks. real gold, like it's not, yeah. So I guess, eh. but like I love that, like he he sells the com badge for three dollars, and off they go for the game, and in the very next scene, we see him checking into like the presidential suite of the hotel, and not only that, he's wearing the debonair gentleman's waistcoat, and there was a name. Native American gentleman at the table and he's wearing his hat and I was like oh this is I was good. wondering where he got those clothes from I was like why is this why are his clothes different so he actually no, took no, the clothes he, off their backs that is hilarious the off their back or the hat off their head and I and actually I did make a, a joke on Instagram that's up now that's like data checking into the hotel with like the his Starfleet uniform a waistcoat and a top and like a bowler hat with a feather sticking out and it uh-huh. said something like perfect now I blend in <laughs> like, <laughs> and like I, I enjoyed that one but like I, I just think it's so funny to see him and he's got this very kind of like hmm, huh, like kind of content little smirk on his face that he just like totally peeled the paint off of those guys to like take their money now I just, he's I got feel like, like data the was presidential just, suite i feel like data was just like okay whatever moving on the bellhop yeah. on the other hand was like shocked and amazed and was just like wow those guys thought you were a total sucker because the way you dress and talk and they knew they were gonna like just clean you out and yeah. you, seen, you know he's like i love the look on those guys faces and so now he's becoming like data's personal assistant, assistant because yeah data's just like plying him with cash because he needs all these these things because he wants to build something to communicate if anybody else from the enterprise happens to come to the time period he wants to have mm-hmm. a way to, to figure out that they're there so he needs all these things and the bellhop's gonna get it for him but the bellhop is so smart and he's like hey you need some company i can introduce you to so and so and i was like yeah some things never change even this like this mm-hmm. is this is a thing and mm-hmm. it's like no data doesn't need a prostitute right now he just he just needs a f- some equipment so probably be easier if he just needed a prostitute because she's probably downstairs but no you have to go all around town and get everything on this list and data gives him a stack of bills which is probably like in that day's time like bajillions of dollars Mm -hmm. and so now he has an ally which is really smart because that's exactly what he needs he doesn't need to be walking around town like he draws way too much attention way too much attention and data does give him like a list of things he things that he needs and gives the, gives the bellman all that money and he goes off to get the stuff from him. Tells now, him he's an inventor and that's why he yes, needs things. Yes, which is a perfect cover. Now, mm-hmm. we do actually see that old 49er again who's begging on the street and he is approached by a man and a woman with a snake cane, which actually causes him to kind of like look twice at them and he's like, snake. And he looks at them and he says, no, no. And the woman lifts like, she has like a physician's bag. Mm-hmm. And she lifts this like physician's bag and a beam of energy seems to take like his life force, basically. Mm-hmm. And it only takes a second and they walk away and he's dead. And they're just like casually strolling away. And it was like, oh, my God, it was a very cold hearted murder. But it bloodless. really was. And like it took so it took such a short amount of time and it was in like a back alley. No mm-hmm. one saw. No one noticed. And because he was already sickly. And homeless, so he didn't have anyone looking out for him. It's the perfect murder victim. It's the perfect murder victim. No one yeah. no one would bat an eyelash at this guy being mm-hmm. suddenly dead today when we just mm-hmm. saw him yesterday or an Absolutely. hour ago just fine. Absolutely. Now, on the Enterprise, Picard has to move um, the mission on, but Riker's like, I cannot accept that Data may be dead. Like, 
Riker does good rant. He just goes on a good one. And it's usually like a self-righteous or like a morality rant where he's mm-hmm. like, I can't accept he's dead. We've got to do something. And Picard's like, uh, if you have any idea, now would be the time. But like, mm-hmm. otherwise we got to move things along. And they still have to figure out why the Davidians are traveling back in time to Earth to like do what? Undermine the history? Mm-hmm. Get a warfare? Like very unknown and like. But we're going to assume this- it's negative. We're going to assume it's probably negative. And they're like, we've got to figure this out. And hopefully along the way, we'll be able to figure out, A, what happened to Data or like link up with him or get him back or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we're like, Jordy, can you science something together to make this happen? And he's like, yeah, so I guess Jordy so. Jordy has to build the thing he wasn't going to build because it was in Data's head. So now he has yeah. to build it. And then he's yeah. like, and then Picard's like, do we still have to do the only, you know, only one person can go type of deal? And he's like, no, I mm-hmm. can make one big enough for all of us. It's just that it's it was the discriminator that was going to take the time. It's not the beam. So he's like, once that's done, you know, we'll just, we can encom- encompass all of us. It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and he's like, how long would that take? And I forget what he said, like three hours or something. So yeah, it's so like, I think it was three hours. So, so yeah, like, okay, we, so we could have done, time to kill we and... done this in the first place then. <laughs> sure could have, sure could have. But in the meantime, this gives time for Picard to go to 10 forward to see Guinan. Mm-hmm. And she's working on this like really super cool chemistry experiment experiment in a cocktail and she's like you know if you're off by just like a molecule or two actually the idea of this cocktail is brilliant for bartending Mm -hmm. here's the idea and i didn't take notes on the scene i was just like oh this is great um what she was basically doing is she's making a cocktail and um changing its evaporation point to just uh a degree or so above like the drinker's mouth so the moment the drink touches the tongue, it reaches that perfect temperature and evaporates immediately and goes right into like the roof of your tongue. And all of the flavor is carried in the aroma. And I was like, that is so stinking cool. And I was immediately like, ooh, there's a couple of different ways to change the evaporation point of a liquid. And I was like, ooh, I should probably, you know, fuck around with that a little bit and see if I can like make a cocktail that'll kind of evaporate or some like faster. So it's like you get this kind of other sensory experience. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was really cool. But as they're talking, she's kind of adding these little granules that raise the evaporation point. But she said it's famously tricky to make this drink because mm-hmm. if you're off by a molecule or two, the whole thing just disappears before you can serve the drink. So it's like notoriously tricky to get right. So she's over here just experimenting as she's ought to do. And <laughs> You know, she tells him, she tells Picard that, like, you must go on this mission. And he's like, no, no, like, Captain stays behind while the entire 1,000 other crew members go (laughs) on the away team so I can pilot the ship for some reason. Um, And (laughs) And that's how it goes. And that's how it is, yes. And Guinan says, do you remember the first time we met? And he says, of course. And she says, don't be so sure. All I'm saying is, if you don't go on this mission, we'll never meet. And as she says that, the cocktail fizzes and disappears um, with some pretty grainy CGI. But I was like, cool, cool, whatever. Like, I got, you know, Still a cool the idea. idea is there. Which also, why, why is that true? Like, even if he didn't go on the mission, they didn't meet 500 years ago. It's plausible they could have met. But I guess she purposely chose to post on the enterprise after her 500 year old like adventure probably mm-hmm. but anyway yeah she basically says if you don't go on this mission like the future will not play out the way that it's your past to. has yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so now data's making some sort of super cool device and this is one of my favorite scenes of all tng of ever the bellman stumbles in carrying an anvil and he's like oh god so heavy and he drops it 
And I freaking love this. It's one of my like favorite TNG childhood memories is Data picking up the anvil with one hand and just walking off with it and then realizing. <laughs> and then the, the Bowman's wow. like, wow. Oh, yeah. And he he puts it down and he, he grabs his arm and he goes, ouch. <laughs> I, I like, believe oh. I have overexerted myself. Yeah. <laughs> and picking like, that and picking so that great. up. And the bellhop's yes. like, I'll say. And he's like, yeah, it, yeah, that's, it's a really, really funny scene because you see, not only does he drop it in the most mechanical way, yeah. but also the look on his face, he's like looking around like, oops, I forgot. I'm supposed to be really weak. Like, it just, it looks like he got caught. It's just really, it's a really, really funny scene. I love it so much. I really, really do. Um, now the bellman who tells us his name is Jack, Jack brings him a newspaper and it's like wrapped around a pastry because apparently uh, pastry paper didn't exist back then. So you just go to the bakery and they just wrap up your like your morning Danish newspaper in, in the morning newspaper. <laughs> so you get like a read and a little dash and of lead snack. in your and a snack, like a leddy snack. Mm-hmm. But I love that. Data picks up the croissant and just kind of goes and just sort of drops it on the floor. Mm -hmm. But what catches his attention is, oh, my effing God, it's Guinan in the newspaper. And I was like, cover. (gasps) Yeah. Guinan is here. And she's not just just in the paper. She is the cover of the paper of San Francisco. And you're like, okay. So fast forward to the next scene. There's a party going on at someone's house. And Guinan's there at the party. Um, mm-hmm. And we hear Samuel Clemens, a.k.a. Mark Twain, talking about who cares what, because his voice is like nailed on a chalkboard. And it's yeah. I think he was saying some really interesting things, though. But I had to like really I've never paid attention to what he was saying ever before. I didn't um, take I didn't take uh, notes on what he said, but I do remember it was an interesting conversation. Yeah, so I I took some notes just because I was like, oh, I never listened to him before. I usually just fast forward through his screechy voice, um, but <laughs> because it's just like now, like if you if yeah, if you have not so watched this episode, I you know apologies for when you get to this part, but anyways, <laughs> he's actually talking about whether or not humans are alone in the universe. And whether or not the earth is the center of the universe. And so he's talking about, yeah, he's talking about what would happen to mankind if we found out we were not the only people in the universe. Suddenly we wouldn't be so significant. We wouldn't be so important. Like maybe there would be chaos and everyone would feel, you know, small and unimportant or with, he says all these really interesting things about how humans would just kind of feel really insignificant. And Guinan says, well, that's maybe not true, though, because she says a diamond is still a diamond, even if it's in a sea of diamonds. Like, you can still be mm. special, even if you're with a lot of other special things. And mm-hmm. Clemens is just like, that may be true, but I would never say that humans are diamonds, right? Like, that they're that they're special and priceless. So it's just, it was a really interesting conversation, but, like, just so painful to listen to. In was, the meantime. It was. It was. <laughs> it, was it was. It was painful to listen to. And I love how he's talking about how humans must be the only creatures in the universe and that as a matter of fact it's a geocentric model of the universe meaning the sun revolves around the earth and that the planet and our existence is like designed by god knows what forces just for the sole pleasure of like man and i love that he's having this conversation with an alien mm-hmm. and has no idea and I'm well like, yeah oh, and his, his so position great. his position is the opposite of all that he's saying this is like common beliefs but what if all of that wasn't true? 
Like, what if man uh-huh, wasn't yeah, the center? Yeah. And But he's having this conversation with Guinan, of all people, with an alien, you know, who's like... Who's an alien, yeah. Yeah, so she's playing devil's advocate. And she's like, yeah, okay, well, if it wasn't true, what would that mean? Like, what mm-hmm. what would change? And so it's just, it's that's it's a really cool idea. It's just the characters, ugh, super painful. Yes. I feel like the biggest engineering feat of the entire episode, never mind all the phase shifting and all that, is how they kept Guinan's sleeve so effing puffy. I was mm-hmm. like, how was that even kept up? She had the puffiest sleeves ever constructed, and it was magnificent. It must have been so uncomfortable to wear that. Yeah. However, mm-hmm. she always wore, like, ridiculous-looking hats and stuff. That also looked very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, she's, it's whatever. But, like, but she I love that. Ugh. She looked so stunning. And I love that in this party, Samuel Clemens is obviously kind of like the star of the party, but here she is holding her own against him and, and a celebrity in her own right, mm-hmm. right? For what I... I'm not sure, but like just because she's awesome. Something um, that got her on the cover of the newspaper. So yep. she's obviously other, the others in the party. She really is. The others are like so delighted by her. Now, I just put a little side note. Like, imagine that you're an extra for Star Trek TNG and they're like, here, throw on this eight, you know, this 1857 like outfit or whatever. I thought mm-hmm. it was hilarious, but like the sets and costume were so killer for everyone. For everyone, even the horse and carriages and mm-hmm. everything was like killer. Now, data has had time to change into real like party clothes and rushes to Guinan and she does not know him which he didn't know what to expect he had just assumed that because she was in this time period she must have traveled back but of course he does say like I knew your species were long lived I just had no idea they were this long lived yeah because he quickly discovers that this is not the Guinan from the Enterprise who has traveled back to find him yeah this is a Guinan who was here already who was actually here 500 years ago hanging out in San Francisco by some coincidence. Being so on the cover of newspapers. Being yeah. on the cover of newspapers. So as they're kind of like, he pulls her to the side and they're outside chit-chatting about this. And he's like, Guinan, don't you know me? And all this stuff. And she's just like, what? And so she's like, wait, where are you from? When are you from? What's going on? So they're kind of catching well, each other up. Before they do the catch up, it's another really, really great scene where he says, I know you from the Enterprise. And she goes, is that a clipper ship? And his eyes kind of like bug out. And he was like, mm-hmm. it's a starship. And the minute he says he's from a starship, she puts it together and she's like, oh, Mr. Data, of course. Okay, let's go chat outside. How are you? Just so much to catch up on. And then she's like, did my father send you? Yeah. If so, you must go back and tell him I'm not done listening to the humans. That's what she says before she interrupts mm-hmm. him. And I was like, oh my God, she was there to just listen. And I I think it's so lovely. I yeah. love that so much. Yeah. And he explains it all. And she needs no convincing. And this is a critical component to any kind of like unbelievable story like this. Every character who's going through something that nobody else could possibly believe needs somebody to trust them and believe in them to help them in like their journey. Mm-hmm. And she is that journey helper. And I love that it's her because it was always her. And then we see a big old puff of fucking cigar smoke and it's Mr. Clemens eavesdropping in the most obvious manner. And he's like, eavesdropping is by no means like a desired, you know, behavior like for a gentleman. gentleman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. But the deed is done. So it's like basically saying like, I shouldn't have done it, but I did. So tell me what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, there was no here. apology. There was no apology hinted in that. He was just like, well, you caught me. 
So first of all, sir, if you're going to be eavesdropping, maybe don't blow your smoke out into the faces of the people you're eavesdropping on. No, dummy. Put your your cigarette or your cigar out so that we don't have to deal with that. Actually, my notes here were, damn it to hell, Clemens. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and he's like, the deed is done. And you're like, ugh. Well, I'm not going to explain shit to you. And by the way, Guinan looks so pissed at him. Mm -hmm. He looks so pissed. She's like, mm, mm. Mm. what are you doing so inappropriate it's so inappropriate and so in the next scene we're back into video two and Mm -hmm. we're back in the cave and jory's ready to try this new contraption and it's going to bring the entire away team to that temporal space that data was in before he disappeared yes and then picard beams down suddenly and is like i have to go with you this Mm -hmm. is this is a necessity and and riker's like i feel better if you just didn't and Picard's like, no, I have to come. It's Captain's prerogative. So he sends Worf back to the ship. And Worf is like, dang it. Fine. Like, I, I should be yeah. by your side. And he's like, no, no, we need somebody to protect the Enterprise because we don't know what's going down here on Davidia 2. But it's like, so if everything goes sideways, Worf is now in charge of the Enterprise? That's and not he, a good call. Because he is going to fire phasers and photon torpedoes on anything and everything that everything. moves. And pretty soon there won't be a single living being on the Enterprise left because he's going <laughs> to just lose control of himself and go full Klingon. Yeah, I don't think Yeah, I don't know. I feel like he will keep them safe. I don't I don't have a lot of hope for anybody in Davidia 2. Like, they might not make it out, but he's <laughs> that Enterprise is going to be in one piece. Guns yeah. blazing, one piece. It really, it so, really, really will be, yeah. So, anyways, so Jordy does his contraption and turns it on. They all phase into that same space that Data was describing. And we see these aliens. And I have to say, the CGI is kind of weak here. Um, you you get the idea of it. which What I think yeah. is really clever is that they're saying it's a different time. It's a different phase. So that gives them the, the excuse of having everything be kind of fuzzy and yeah. not clear. And I think that was a really good idea because when Data was describing these, they're gray and they're this, this tall and they have four limbs and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You still have to get a human actor to portray that unless you make big puppets or animatronics or something like that. And so even in the fuzzy, haloed version, those people looked really dumb they kind of like mummies to me so i like that they i like that they explain why we're not going to be super detailed on looking at the aliens and we don't even care about these aliens it was just enough to see little glowy light things going towards them because we don't even care about these aliens we care about what's going on back in 19th century earth yeah so this is really just a stepping stone for that so they come in they're kind of looking around and you're like oh this is what data was describing so we get to see it too um, they're kind of like bluish light. Mm-hmm. They're eating, they're eating like organic material, like humans. Is this what we're seeing? Because it's like little balls of light. Mm-hmm. And that's where Troy is like, no, what I'm sensing is the imprint of human life. Like these people died in horror and in terror. And I, I, like I, what I am sensing is their last moments of life caught in emotion. Mm-hmm. And they all died in terror. And I was like, oh, my God. So it's just like the 49er. I was like, Jesus. Mm -hmm. Now, a portal opens up and two Davidians walk in. And one is carrying that snake staff. And the other takes, like, the physician's bag, which is now kind of like a boxy thing. And, like, dispenses, like, whatever they've captured, like, the essences into kind of like the main feeding thing. Um, And the away team realizes that the Davidians are stealing human lives from Earth in the 19th century to deliver them here to feed the others. So they're like, well, we got to stop that immediately because like, what the F? Mm -hmm. And then this is when they see something cool. That snake staff comes to life and it becomes like some sort of living serpent Mm -hmm. and reopens the portal for them to go through. And they walk through and the away team follows and then the portal shuts and all we see is an empty cave and the words to be continued. 
I was like, such uh, a good season finale. It's a good, such a great season finale because knowing as we can today, just go on to the next episode. People had to wait months Mm -hmm. and months to figure out what they were going to find. I'm so glad those days are over. Yeah, me too. Well, (laughs) they are over and they're not, they're over for TNG, but I'm telling you, I watched all of house of the dragon and I am obsessed with how good it is. (laughs) And the season two finale, the season one finale, there's only one season so far, but the finale was not a cliffhanger, but it, there was a lot of like, Oh shit. Like now what's going to happen. And we have to wait like two years, two Mm -hmm. years, Sharice to figure out what happens next and i'm like no i'm only in week one of this two-year wait and i'm already feeling like an 89 year old i'm so old and tired already i'm like just give me season two now so there was there was kind of a magic in the season finales because you did you did i want to say only compared to the years right you only Mm -hmm. had to wait over the summer break or whatever so it was like a three-month wait before you got the next season it wasn't like a two-year wait or like Sherlock, if anyone's seen that show, which is freaking epic. Oh, yeah. I'm those four seasons. Yeah, those four seasons were filmed over the course of about 10 years. Yes. So yeah. season one, everyone's young and spry. Season four, everyone's got gray hair. You're like, what the F? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it was so many years between seasons and the seasons were so good and self-contained that you're like, we, I don't have to have another one, but I sure hope there is another one. And I, and when it comes out, I'm going to be so excited. So there's like this pro and con, like it has to be really good for you to be like two years, I'll be there. It's got to be really, really good. Before, if it was three months, you didn't have to be super good. You just had to be yeah. better than whatever else was on when people were eating dinner. That's that's all you need to do. So I don't know, pros and cons, but luckily for us, um, we don't have to wait. We're just going to go yeah. right on to the next episode. For us, we don't have get, to wait. Get this conclusion. Yeah. And, you know, I will say as like a person who is very, very bitter that I have to now wait two years to find out <laughs> what happens in like House of the Dragon, which which that's what happened with um, Game of Thrones as well. And like, I, I remember there was, there's there's eight seasons of Game of Thrones and season seven cliffhanger was like such a severe cliffhanger that everybody was like, oh, my God. And we still have to wait like a year and a half or two years. So it's like, okay, that time passed. And I guess this time will pass too. But I'm like, <laughs> it's taking so long. You know, so, you know, I, I totally get that. because Marks like, of a good show. It is a mark of a great, I mean, the show, I really, really recommend House of the Dragon is so, 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 so well done. Um, But like, yeah, now I have to suffer like two years. Although there's also like other really great shows I can watch and some favorites too. So it's, it's fine. The tears will pass and I'll figure out what happens to season two. And I'm sure it'll carry on for a few more seasons. So there's going to be more of those like two year waits, two year mm-hmm. waits, two year waits. But I'm mm-hmm. like, Oh man, it's brutal. But lucky for us with this episode, we had to wait like two seconds before we could play next episode. So that's yeah, we really- had to wait for the little timer to go around the circle before it auto plays the next episode. <laughs> I think that timer is like a good 60 seconds. So we had to you know wait what? maybe actually, 60 seconds. I'm going to say, no, actually the timer is usually like 10 or 15 seconds. But I will say this. That happens on Netflix. On Paramount Plus. It sure it doesn't. Says, it, it says next episode will play in 10 seconds. Do you want it to play? And I have found that if you don't hit yes, it won't autoplay, which is extremely annoying. And I'm it telling to- you. Paramount Plus has like a million things they need to fix to put their streaming platform on. I hope anybody from Paramount Plus is listening because they probably aren't because we're tiny. But the point is, there are so many gaps and holes in in the platform that like it's just a lot of room for improvement, which I hope that they do because (laughs) all Star Treks are there. And if you want to keep watching Star Treks, you got to, yeah, you know, Mm -hmm. play the Paramount Plus game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) 
you got to do some like meditation so you don't get frustrated with the platform before you watch. (laughs) Anyway, I'm getting way off track. What are your final thoughts on this episode, Sharice? This was a really good season finale. Um, You know what? I changed what I said at the beginning of this. Maybe this is better than Best of Both Worlds because I really think that ending was so good. Like the the ending of Best of Both Worlds part one was good. The last five minutes where you're like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? But really, the juice came in part two, the beginning of part two, where you're like, oh, yes. oh, oh, my gosh, they're going to Earth. Oh, my gosh. Like, all the excitement. It was like yeah. a lot of buildup in episode one, but really, the good stuff was all episode two. I'm going to yes. say this is probably, comparing to that, this would be my favorite season finale, because I feel like this episode stands alone completely. It's not just a bunch mm-hmm. of buildup. It's not mm-hmm. like we waited a whole episode, and then at the end, data disappears. And you're like, no. okay, let's see what happens. It's like, this is a legit episode, stands on its own. And the next episode is a legit episode that stands on its own. So, um, yeah, this was a really good season finale. And I just immediately want to watch the next one. That was my oh, yeah, thought. 100%. Like, let's let's just speed right into the next episode. And also, let's take a moment to be like, hey, we finished season five. This is, and what a great, fun, like, delicious, tasty little ending where it's like, we have somebody living in the 19th century trying to find their way back. We've got the rest of the team trying to figure this out. We've got Davidians eating people's souls for lunch. Like, there's a lot of cool <laughs> stuff happening here. This is the buffet brunch I never want to be invited to. And I love myself a brunch. But, like, I was like, I'll super hard pass on the Davidian brunch, but (laughs) so much fun. Um, Actually, you know, I've been kind of jokingly like referring to the last number of episodes as like Thanksgiving dinner. And this really, though, if I'm going to continue that, this is just desserts right here. It's so much fun. (laughs) Well, I would say Samuel Clemens is like a big old roasted Brussels sprout right in the middle of my (laughs) apple pie. Like, I love Brussels sprouts, but like, not in my apple pie. Like, get the fuck out of here. Vegetables are good for you. Get your cigar smoke and get out of here being up in people's business. Well, the shenanigans (laughs) continue next week where we are breaking down season six already. Episode one times arrow part two. Thanks so much for taking this wild roller coaster ride with us. We will see you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at the TNGpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.